First John, uh, today we're going to go through the second uh, chapter. Uh, each of these chapters, each week, uh, we know stands alone for John is uh, speaking a message to all those that uh, believe, and he goes over some things two or three times because they're very, very important uh, to John, and they're very, very important to each and every one of us. I want to start off by saying a couple of things that... Uh, you know, you, you see a child, and you look at that child, and you compare him or her to mom or dad. And you say, oh, they look just like you. Now, if it's a little girl, we're praying that they look just like mom. But uh, we see that. And you look sometimes at baby pictures, and you see the newborn, the baby, and you look at one of the parents or both of the parents' baby picture, and you see the comparison between those two. That's because there's a DNA connection between the child and its parents. The parent's essence has been transferred to the child during its development. And we should look at Christ because of his sacrifice has been transferred to us. And people should look at us and our lives and marvel at the resemblance between us and Jesus. You know, when we travel, or especially if I'm traveling and it's just a short trip, I live out of my suitcase. I don't take everything out and put it in the drawer. You're just not going to be there that long. And there are some people that actually live out of a clothes dryer. Uh, they don't hang things up. They wash them, clean them, put them in the dryer, and then they look for a shirt or socks and get it, and they put it back on then. If you go to a foreign country, you may know a little bit of the language, but you don't spend a whole lot of time trying to learn that whole language if you're not going to be there for a long period of time. 
And even if you do try to learn some of that language, you still struggle, struggle with it because the language that you grew up with, your native language is the language that you know. And even in translation, sometimes it's hard to do. You see, the same is true of our lives on this earth. This is a foreign land. This is not where we are spending eternity. The culture of this world is not our home. So today, we're going to hear John write about these things. Today, we see the atonement of Christ for the help of our sinful weaknesses. We're going to see Jesus' effect of saving knowledge, of his saving knowledge, which produces in us an obedience And the love for our brothers and sisters. And as believers, we are reminded we are God's children. And John addresses us as his little children. All are cautioned against love of this world and against the errors of sin. And we are encouraged to stand fast and faithful and be faithful and holy. You know, one of John's distinct styles is his habit of noting both sides of a conflict. We saw that in chapter 1 when he talked about like the light and darkness. And in chapter 2, we're going to see the same kind of realities. He's going to refer to a new command, when in reality it's not a new command. It's a command that Jesus gave us long ago. We're going to see the conflict of loving the Father and loving the world. Conflict between Christ and those that are against Christ. And then the everyday everyday struggle we have with truth and with lies. So grab your Bibles like your life depended upon it because it does. And turn to 1 John. I'm going to begin reading the second chapter with the first verse. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The many who say, I know him, but do not live by his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You see, fellowship and following Christ is so wonderful because he is our advocate. The advocate for us is an advocate with the Father and is fully able to plead on our behalf, our behalf. But yet we must purposefully and properly apply for the pardon that he will grant us and give us the salvation in his name. He alone is righteous, one who received his nature pure from sin, We are all invited to come to God through this all-sufficient atonement. And we have the promise. And this promise should give us a blessed relief for the sins we have committed and for those that are wounded. You see, in the first six verses, John 
says a lot to believers. John does not want believers to sin. However, if or when they do, he wants them to know that there's an advocate. Jesus Christ has covered all your sins. Those who keep his commands are demonstrating that they truly know Christ. Those who do not keep his commands but say they fellowship with him are liars. Those who walk in Christ as Christ walked give evidence of the fact that they are in him. This obvious reality comes from the fruit of their lives. You know, doesn't it make sense that a saved person would naturally be inclined to obey God that saved them from doing what was wrong? Wouldn't it be make sense that they would want to do what he asked them to do? The good thing about it is, is when we fall short and we're lost, we're not completely lost. Let's say that the accuser finds you guilty and wants to give you a life sentence. What a great feeling to know that you have an advocate that will come into the court and will defend you. But there are some things we must do for that advocate to be our true advocate. You see, he is a great advocate. He knows the law. He is the law and has obeyed every law. He is without sin and he desires to be on our side. Yet how horrible would it be if you were in that courtroom and your advocate walked in, walked over to the table where you're sitting, looked in your eyes and say, says, I do not know you. We cannot say we walk in the light and yet live in darkness. This is a point that John is making. So if you skip down to the seventh verse now, John writes, Dear friends, I am not writing, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. There is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness had blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Again, John is not giving us a new command, but giving one that Jesus gave us in the beginning. In verse 9, you see that, that hate for one's spiritual brother or sister is incompatible with the fellowship of Christ. Love is often defined as the single most important sign which the world uses to identify a believer. Verse 10 reminds us that 
There are those who have loved their fellow brother and sister, and when they show it, they are in the light. As believers, we are all called to be obedient to God the Father, as well as to have a mutual love for each other. And at the same time, we are to have contempt for the world. The youngest disciple is pardoned. The communion of all saints is attended with the forgiveness of sins. Those of the longest standing with the Lord are still in need of further advice and instructions. We're always walking with the Lord. Even fathers are written and preached to. None is too old to learn. And no one knows it all. Children in Christ know that God is their father. And this is the beginning of wisdom for them. Even those that know God may be led to give in to the world. It will be the glory of the young persons to be strong in Christ and to have his grace. By the word of God, they overcome the evil one. God is writing to believers of all ages as God's dear children who have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. As children, we grow to win battles against temptation as we walk with the Lord and move from one victory to another victory, from one relationship to another, Jesus becomes more intimate with us. And as we get older, our wisdom has grown, and we should be teaching and mentoring to the young. The cycle should never end. In verse 15 and 17, John speaks of loving God, not the world. You know, when you go to get gas for your car, you put your credit card in, it approves your credit, and it says lift the handle and choose to push the button, the fuel you want. And most of us will look and see what's the cheapest and push that button. And we'll put unleaded gas in our car. You don't put diesel in that car that runs on unleaded gas. You don't put unleaded gas on that vehicle that runs on diesel. They don't mix. And if you mix them, you wonder why your car is not running right or not running at all. When we mix the world with God's truth and God's word, then it's the same conclusion. We wonder why our running, our life is not running like I heard on Sunday. You see, so often people will put unleaded gas in their car on Sunday and on Monday they'll put diesel in it and expect it to run. You see, folks, you're tearing up your engine when you do that. Now skip down to 1 John, 2nd chapter, 15th verse. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eye, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The things of the world may be desired and possessed for the uses and the purpose of God. 
for the intention that he had. And they're to be used by his grace and his glory. But believers must not seek or value them for their own purpose. For sin will abuse them. John classifies three ruling inclination of man's depraved nature. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the wrong desires of the heart, and an appetite to indulge in things that excite man and brings temporary pleasures. The lust of being covenant of other people's things, of what you don't have. Our eyes are delighted with riches and rich possessions, and then we are full of pride. A vain man craves the grandeur of glory, of seeking honor, of seeking applause. And I want to part just for a moment, and we'll unpack this more in the connect groups after service, but I want to park on pride for just a second. Because the evil one is so cunning in how he uses pride and how often he uses pride. And yet you'll hear in a minute how God hates the proud. You see, the temptation to elevate our views of ourselves and our accomplishments out of proportion or more importantly, forgetting the one who has blessed us with the ability to accomplish some of these things. It's part of the carnal world. A pastor received a note uh, one Christmas after delivering a Christmas Eve service from a lady who attended their church. She was very complimentary about his preaching, comparing him to Billy Graham, saying, I think you're one of the really great preachers of all time. Later that day, he chose to show the note to his wife, which is a big mistake, but anyway. Showed it to his wife, and she asked, who is this woman? And the pastor replied with a smile on his face, she's a very intelligent woman in the congregation who loves great preaching. He asked his wife, how many great preachers do you suppose there really are in this world? Without hesitation or missing a beat, she replied, obviously I think there is one less in the world than you do. It's important to understand that there are two kinds of pride. Good pride with focus on excellence, wanting to do your best and remembering the one that has blessed you with the ability to do your best and those around you that have helped you. 1 Corinthians 9.25 tells us that we should seek a crown that lasts forever. And in Romans 12.16, the author writes, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Then there's sinful pride. With the distorted and very improper focused focus on self-importance and self-worship. This is the kind of pride John is focusing on in his, this chapter. It's the kind of pride that the evil one convinces us that we are doing good, even that we are doing good for God. And even when we try to hide our pride. You see, Satan will make us busy in God's work. When God wants us to do one thing, Satan will convince you you can do several things. And we end up not doing the one thing God wants us to do according to his will. And we're doing a bunch of things over here 
that are not accomplishing the original will of God. Can I share with you how cunning the evil one is and give you just one example, and then, as I said, we'll move on. I think he's so cunning we don't even realize when we're prideful. We don't even realize it. When someone comes to you with a joyous statement, let me just use this one. Someone comes to you and says, you know, I read John 3.16. And you know what I realized today? I realized that Jesus died for my sins. For me personally, he died. I didn't realize that before. And they're excited about it. And you look at them and you say, what? I know that. I knew that. I learned that a long time ago. You've taken away the joy that this person is having. Rather than joining them in that joy, you want to tell them how much you know. I know that. When someone wants to share something, Satan will remind you how smart you are. You wouldn't do that to your kids when the kids come home and say, hey, Dad, guess what we learned today? We learned that the world is not flat, it's round. The two and two equal four, Dad. You don't say, wow, I already knew that. Or you don't say, wow, I wish you'd have learned that before you got to the 12th grade. Don't take away their joy. There are numerous scriptures in the Bible that tells us how God feels about pride. Let me just go over a few of them. Proverbs 6, 16 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are uh, despicable to him. Honey eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked, devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to run, rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 18.12, before the downfall of man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. God is always there to give a solution when we have a problem, to give a solution about bad behavior. And if you look at 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. A pastor once said, I have a great sermon on humility. It is absolutely awesome. I have worked on it. It is just, I think it's the perfect humility sermon. But I can't deliver it on Easter because it just really doesn't fit. And I can't deliver it on Christmas because it doesn't really fit. So I'm waiting for a crowd to be at church so I can deliver this message on humility that is great. We don't realize sometimes that Satan has allowed pride to come out in things we say. You see, in contrast, Winston Churchill once was asked, does it thrill you to know that every time you make a speech, the hall is filled to overflowing? Churchill replied, it is quite flattering. But whenever I feel that way, I always remember that instead of making a political speech, 
if I were being hung, there would be twice as many people there. You see, all these things fade away, but the holy affection for God in, in each other does not pass. The love of God shall never fail. Many have tried to show how far we may go to be carnal-minded about love in this world, but the meaning of John's verses cannot be easily mistaken. Is it, about, it is about loving God and loving one another as he intended. Anyone who loves the world, the meaning of that word just should rock your soul. There are things in this world that we need to sever from. The problem is, is that we're here in this world and it seems appropriate just for a moment to love the things of the world. And that's when sin sneaks in. The things of this world are all temporary and Jesus, our advocate, desires for us to focus on the eternal. John calls his time in the 18th verse as the last hour. Believers are warned against teachings of antichrist or false prophets, false teachers. These are liars that deny Jesus is the Christ. In the 22nd verse, we read, who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the antichrist. He denies the father and the son. Every man that denies the person of Christ, the Son of God, denies the Father also and has no part in his favor. He rejects his great salvation. You know, it's hard to tell who true believers are. But let me give you an example. It's easy to tell by the fruits of their lives. They are humble. They are anointed with grace. And they have gifts for his work, and they do his will. The evil one spreads lies to others and to us concerning the person of Christ and even who we are and who we truly belong to and how we appear in God's sight. You see, we have walked away from the truth and we begin to try to determine the world and determine God by how we feel. You see, we must stand up against false teachings. We must stand up against just feelings. We must stand on the truth. We must stand on God's word. The final victory belongs to Christ and belongs to Christ alone. The root and foundation are not built on or by man, but rather are built by God for God's kingdom. The truth of Christ abiding in us is a means to sever from sin and unite with Jesus. The 15th chapter of John in the beginning of the third verse, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what value should we put on the gospel's truth? If we stand on truth firmly, the promise of eternal life is made sure. John repeats these kind of words to us. And again, he repeats the fact that we are little children. 
That denotes affection that God has for us. He persuades by love. He loves each and every one of us. Believers are called to remember their position as children of God. In the 26th verse, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teachers, you are about all, thing, you are about all things. And as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he, as he has taught you, remain in him. John is saying to abide in him always. Do not be into the denial. Don't let the evil one convince you that you cannot be forgiven. You can be forgiven by Jesus. So often we deny things. We deny things to protect ourselves. We deny things because we are ashamed of what we've done. Or we deny things because we don't like the punishment we may be facing. This is the world in us. You see that small child that has chocolate all over his face. And mom comes up and says, have you been in the chocolate? No. No. You see, those who know what is righteous are said to be born in him. Those that stand firm in him during trying times, and gosh knows we are in those times, show that they are born from above, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be aware of holding the truth in unrighteousness, remembering that there is only one God. We are not here for eternity. We are here in a foreign land for a short period of time. And God has eternity planned for us. And we have that opportunity through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, this chapter should be a wake-up call for all who are undecided about Jesus. Or for those who are living in sin and yet claim to know him. You cannot claim to know him and not obey him. Whoever knows him will strive to obey him. Not perfectly. No, we are not perfect. He is not asking for for perfection. But those that want to follow him are living Christ-like life. They are reading and obeying his word. They are praying to God on a daily basis. They are asking for guidance in discernment, based on his power, not our power. If we're not doing that, then we do not have confidence in him. In the day that he returns, it will be plain that we are not of him. So you must make your decision And John is saying, make your decision quickly to say who you belong to and how you would live. And we should do it before it's too late. Victor, if you guys want to come forward. 
You know, when you grab a bag of potato chips, you pull a chip out, and the chip is probably one quarter potato and three quarters air. In fact, you get the bag of chips and the, you feel the bag, and you can't really feel how many chips are in there simply because it's full of air. My concern is for those who profess to be believers, and they're like potato chips. They're partially saved, or saved at a moment in time, but they belong to the world most of the time. When opened up, there's a lot of air. And sometimes we hear that there are believers that have backslidden. But I wonder if they ever were slid forward in the first place, revealing that they're probably not saved. So today's the day to do that. You see, First Peter, first chapter, about halfway through the ninth verse reads, You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's word says if we deny Jesus as Christ, as the Messiah, then you are the Antichrist. You are against Christ. Matthew twelve thirty says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Brothers and sisters, I hope that each and every one of you have heard that God seeks to forgive us all. And the world seeks to deceive us all. And we are not of this world, but we are of his kingdom. 